All right. Well, today is the, the, the culmination of the series that we've been doing through the month of December. Um, we're going to look at another character quality from the characters of the Christmas story. I'm, I'm hoping you're, I didn't, thank you. You're awesome. I look at my thing to see it and I didn't take the offering. <laughs> Stephanie, you, you, get a, you get a big hug after church. If our service team would come. Can't forget to take the last offering of the year. That shows you how much I really don't uh, think of this in terms of money. But the last offering of the year, some of you want to get that in because you want to get it your tax uh, put on your tax deduction for the year. So, uh, so I encourage you. We can take two offerings if we want today. So uh, if our service team would come forward. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for blessing us. Thank you, God, for, for the abundance of, of just your, your generosity towards us. And we would pray now, Lord Jesus, that you would um, bless every person in this place as they just obediently worship you through their giving. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Amen. Amen. Wondering why you're standing up here, Pastor Mitch. I actually never saw you. Sometimes you blend in the walls. We've had these conversations where Pastor Mitch has been standing and I've walked right past him. And he's so quiet sometimes, you just don't know he's there, right? And so he blends in. You know what? We should, re- we should celebrate. Pastor Mitch has been very sick for a while, and uh, he's better, right? Praise the Lord that you're better. Um, having some significant thyroid issues, and looks like it went away. And uh, didn't have to do anything other than pray. And so uh, praise the Lord. God is good. and I'm glad that you're, that you're feeling better. So as the, as the offering's being received, I'll... Start back over, in case you didn't do it. Where, was there, where's that slide I was looking for up there? There it is. We've been for finishing up our our series that we've been looking at is the the character Christmas character, not the characters of Christmas, but the character qualities in the characters from the Christmas story. And there's a big difference. Just look at just look at their lives and learn some things. But we've been trying to look at their character qualities in the characters that make up the Christmas story. And, and I hope, as we've been doing this, that you've been inspired by the examples of the people we've been looking at. And hopefully, the reason you've been inspired, as you've been inspired, you're being challenged to want to grow in godly character yourself. That was the whole reason. That was our stated reason, week one, and why we wanted to look at the character qualities. We wanted to say, God, we see this in them, and we want to become more like them. And I, it's, it's happened with me, and I hope it's happened with you. And, you know, here's the benefit I get. You get 30 minutes on Sunday. I wrestle with this stuff for li- literally all week long every week, and a lot of times for each sermon, about 10 hours that of, of creation to create a 30-minute sermon. So I get to just kind of live in these things, and I try to summarize it and give you 30 minutes of the highlights. And I hope that you've been experiencing what I have been, that you've been really inspired and challenged by these people and saying, I want what they had. You know, that if we looked at, at Mary the first week, we saw, you know, this, this willingness to put her plan aside and to, to take up God's plan. That she exchanged her plans for God. She was willing to participate in whatever God wanted. It wasn't her idea as a young girl to say, oh yeah, I'm going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And uh, this guy's probably going to divorce me, or who's not even really married yet, we're engaged. He's probably not going to get married to me, and I'm going to maybe get stoned. You know, for, for if that was the culture of the day. And so she willingly participated in the plan of God. We looked at Joseph, who was selfless, and he was willing to become a foster dad and raise somebody else's child, which was Jesus, it was God's son, 
and put all that energy into that and all the chaos he went through, moving here, there, and and the other place, all these places because the Spirit would wake him up at night and say, hey, flee to the next city because the people are going to try to kill Jesus. And so, you know, just look at that selflessness in him. Christmas Eve, we looked at Jesus. We said one word that would describe Jesus' character. What was the word? Love. We just looked at the love of, of Jesus. You know, I want these qualities to grow and develop in my life, and I hope you want these qualities to grow and develop in your life. So for today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the last one of the character qualities, and, and we're going to look at it in not just a character, but in a group of characters. Today, we're going to look at the, at the Magi, at the wise men from the story, those men who came from the east and worshipped at Jesus' feet that we don't know, we probably don't think a whole lot about, we don't know a whole lot about, because we don't think of them as, like, key players in the story. They're just the kind of guys that kids dress up with turbans on Christmas Eve and come up and walk on the thing and reenact the baby Jesus scene. You know, that's about all we think about them. But there's a whole lot more to learn from them, about them, from their character. So grab your Bibles, open up to Matthew 2. You have your Bibles with you today? All right. Um, If you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the chairs in front of you. You're willing to take one of those today, use it, and take it home with you. Um, it's our gift to you. We can't think of anything better than the giving the Word of God to people. We know this. this. This book, the Word of God, will change your life. Every single person on the planet. Get the Word of God into them. It changes your life. So Matthew chapter 2. Let's read about the Magi. Starting in verse 1 through verse 12, it says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi, or wise men, from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judea. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. The Magi, the wise men. Who are these guys? Who is this group of guys we call the, the, they're not the wise guys. You know, they kind of think of that, the wise guys, kind of the, the mafia. That's not who they are. Uh, these are the magi, or some of your Bibles translate it, the wise men. And what they were was a class of highly educated men who studied astronomy and astrology and natural sciences. And what they were in their day was kind of a special society. Um, I don't know if this is accurate, but I thought of them kind of like, well, some people talk about the Illuminati, the kind of this underground group. They weren't underground, but they did, they did um, 
have positions of influence in different governments that really weren't tied to them being part of those governments. They're just as influential groups, a special society, that what they did is they married together their spiritual and scientific um, side, which to them was one. It was spiritual for them to look at the stars and to try to understand God by looking at the creation around them. So they married that side of themselves together with their high political position. And they became this group, this special society. Um, and in some of the writings about the Magi, they're called the kingmakers because they were known to be so influential in some, in some um, government structures that they were actually thought to be the ones who would hand-select a king and then work until that person would become the king of a, of a culture. You know, so then their history was not just a Jesus time. Their history goes back centuries before Jesus, and they had great influence over many, many different empires. Um, in fact, get this. You can this will maybe put a puzzle piece together for you and try to understand why these guys come from the East. These are the people group, the, seek, this, the special society, not secret society, but special society that Daniel became a part of when he was exiled to Babylon. Remember when Daniel went into Babylon? They're, they're, they're in, in Israel and they reject God. The people of Israel reject them. And God says, I'm going to scatter you around the world. And some of them are exiled to Babylon under Babylonian captivity. They're taken to Babylon. Um, and the king then selected from the people from Israel the best and the brightest. And he had them serve in his, in his temple court. He, they served in the group of wise men known as the Magi. So Daniel, in some translations, it translates Daniel's position as the chief of the Magi. So Daniel was in this select group of the best and the brightest um, when he went into Babylon. And he became a, a wise man, a part of the educated elite that served the king and helped him rule the empire. So that's who these guys were. They were the best and the, and the, and the brightest. And it's believed that the reason that they knew to follow the star to Bethlehem Looking, what were they looking for? They were looking for the Messiah, this Jewish Messiah. These guys were not Jewish. The reason that they came there looking for this Jewish Messiah, who was called the King of the Jews, who they believed would establish an eternal kingdom, was because the prophet Daniel prophesied during the time that he was one of the Magi's in the group of Magi's in exile. In Babylon. Matter of fact, it was during his time um, in that group of people with the Magi's that he prophesied what is written and recorded for us as the book of Daniel in your Bible. You know, so it was this group of highly intelligent, highly educated kingmakers. They were this this religious and and political merger that came into different cultures and was a, and, and influenced what went on in the cultures. It was this group that sent an envoy to Bethlehem to seek out, and it says in the text, to seek out something in particular, the king of the Jews. And historians believe that really the reason they probably did that is that they were trying to align themselves. They understood the prophecy, so they were kingmakers. They're going to align themselves with Jesus to, to partner with him and make him into the new ruler in that part of the world politically. That that's probably why they really came. That's the function they had as, as the group of the Magi's. And when they came into Jerusalem and then into Bethlehem looking for this person, it must have been a just huge spectacle. It wasn't just three guys riding on camels coming into town. These were this special group of people 
And they came into town, and there had to be quite a buzz when they, when they arrived. That when they arrived, they would have come in full force with all the imaginable oriental pomp that would have come along. They probably would have been accompanied by a cavalry escort to ensure their safety as they entered into Jerusalem territory, uh, or sorry, into Roman territory. Remember, when it comes in, it says the king knows they're there, and all of Jerusalem is stirred because they're there. Well, just three guys riding in on camels not going to do that. These guys came in in this big escort with cavalry all decked out from another land coming into really a hostile territory. Um, it would have been a big deal. When they came in, it was a big deal. And what do we see when these wise men come? They come in looking for the king of the Jews. What do we see um, when these spiritual political leaders are doing when they, when they follow the start of Jerusalem? What what do they do when they finally find what they're looking for? It says they fall on their faces, they fall on their knees, and they worship Jesus. That's what we see these guys doing. And that's the character quality that I want us to focus on today as we look at the wise men. And it's one that's incredibly practical and one that will affect every one of us in our everyday life wanting to serve Jesus. This quality, this character quality of being a worshiper. Now, a little word, a little side note here. You know what we think about a lot of times when we think of worshipers? We think of ladies. Oh, they're worshipers. You know? And we think that's not very manly. Well, I'm hoping to, to debunk that today because we're going to look at this character quality of worship, these worshiping wise men, and we're going to see something different about worship than maybe you've been grasping. I want to give us a, a, a fuller and a more encompassing idea of what worship um, really is. Because sometimes we can reduce worship down to an activity that we do in a church service. We say worship is coming together at Portview Church at 9 o'clock. Suzanne and the worship team stand up there. They lead us in songs. We sing songs, and that's worship. Well, it is worship, but that's far from what worship really is. It's so much more than just a church service. And when we look at the Magi, what we're going to see is that all they did was about worship. Because I need to understand, worship isn't just singing songs. Worship, by, by my definition, I think it's a fair definition, is the expression of love and honor one has towards God. And what I want to see this in their lives, is this expression of love and honor one has towards God. The things that express or show that we love and honor God are our forms of worship. And that's what we're going to see today. And as we look at, at Matthew, and we look at the Magi in Matthew, it's going to show some ways that they clearly worship God and ways that maybe you wouldn't generally think of as being expressions of worship, but they are things that they did that expressed through their life actions their love and honor for God. And that's what worship is. And what I want is I want us to see this so that it broadens our understanding of worship for a reason. So that we can become great worshipers. That our lives will be, will be marked by saying those people live their lives in such a way that the things they do through their life bring honor and glory to God because they love the Lord. And that is what worship is. The things we do through our lives because we love and honor God, we do that to ex the expressions of that are our, our, our forms of worship. 
So let's talk about some of these forms of worship that we see in the lives of the Magi in these 12 little short verses. And in that 12 little short verses, I see four very clear different expressions of worship that they that were evident in their lives and that can be evident and I think should be evident in every single one of our lives. So the first expression of worship, and I'm, I'm going to tell you in advance, hang on here when I say these things and don't automatically shut your brain up and go, oh, I don't like that. You ever do that when I preach? No, no, of course not. When somebody else preaches maybe, but not when I preach. Because these are, these are the real deal. If you get these things, it's going to change what you understand about how your life is designed by God to be in every way an expression of worship to the Lord so that when the onlooking world sees you, they see you as really, like Jesus said, you should be a light on a hill where your life, light, life reflects the glory of God and they'll say, I want what you have. And so we see this in the Magi. So the first expression of worship that I see in the Magi, beyond their falling on the knees and worshiping, and we're just going to give that to them. That's the church service version. They fell on their knees and they worshiped him. And so we're going to say, we, we know about that. But what else do we see in their lives that was an expression of worship? The first thing is this, their studiousness. Now follow me on this. There's, you know what studiousness means. They studied a lot or they were serious about their studying. They spent a great deal of their time in their lives, studying to know the truth about God. Their life passion was to know the truth. And in this case, to know the truth about who Jesus was, and that is worship. Because they investigated, and they studied, and they explored to find out what God was saying. It took energy and time and effort It was their expression of their love and their desire for God, and that's what worship is. It is an expression of their love for God. Now, that might be a far cry from an emotionally-based definition of worship that centers on the worshipers experiencing something emotional for themselves as they celebrate God. That's a lot different than what a lot of times we think of worship. Worship here is about saying God is so important and so honorable that I will, inve- I will investigate and I will study to know him more. I'll put energy into it. Beyond just going to my weekly service, I'll put energy into it. They reminded me, as soon as I thought of that with the, with the, um, with the wise men, I thought of another group of people in the Bible that are celebrated for this. They reminded me of a group of people called the Bereans. In the scriptures, the apostle Paul encountered them and they're recorded in Acts chapter 17. And you can, you can read about them later in Acts 17, but it says this about the Berean people. It says of them that they quote, received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. These people listened to what the apostle Paul preached and they dug into the scriptures to see if it was true. And church, I want you to understand today. That is worship because it says that knowing God, understanding him more fully is so important that I'll expend my time and my energy in the pursuit of God. That's an expression of worship. It says he is worthy of my energy and my study and my research. You know, 
Bible says, if you seek me, you will find me. And a lot of people dismiss Christianity outright because they say, well, it doesn't do anything for me. But they've never put in five minutes of energy and effort into figuring out if what God says is true. They've never tried to find God. They've never searched for God. They maybe went to some place and went to a church once and said, oh, I tried that, didn't been there, done that, didn't work for me. These guys didn't stop there. The Bereans or the wise men, they said, we've got to see if this is real. They put their life energy into something that's the most important. Now, you all wake up every day with, a, with an allotment of life energy. And you get to choose where you put that allotment of life energy. You can put it into things of the world that will die with you, or you can put it into something that's eternal, which is the life in Christ. And these guys said, I'm going to put my life energy into the most important thing. I'm going to be serious about investigating the things of God. Friends, that's a definition of worship. They use their lives to, to, to say God is the most important thing. Now, does that make sense to you? That's an expression of worship. Let's look at another expression of worship that we see from the wise men. And this one you're going to say, really? I'm going to, by the end you're going to go, yeah, I get it. And it's this. Another expression, they worshipped by taking risks. They were risk takers. Think about it. This group of men set out on a journey that probably took them 6 to 12 months. They entered a politically hostile country and they asked King Herod. If you know anything about history, you know a little bit about King Herod. King Herod was a brutal paranoid leader who killed his own family because he thought that they were going to they were going to try to usurp his authority on his deathbed he decreed that all the leaders of the nation would be executed he was just brutal paranoid man and this group of magi even though they came in with an entourage they still were a small group of people compared to an entire nation and an army and they come into this politically hostile country and they say to Herod What's it say in the text? They asked him this question. Hey, Herod, where is the one born king of the Jews? They say to the king, where's the new king? You think that's kind of risky? Friends, I don't know of a better definition of risk than what they did there. These men literally risked imprisonment or death in their quest to find the one that the star had pointed to and the prophecy had foretold. For one reason, so they could come and worship him. They, they could find the truth of God, the revelation of God, the man, the Messiah. They said, we want to find him. Friends, that was risky. And understand, church, a real lifestyle of worship where you live, where it's beyond just singing songs in church, where your life is a life of worship, a real lifestyle of worship where you live your life first and foremost to honor and to love Jesus is risky. Think of our live dead missionaries that we've been having in the last couple of years who live in parts of the world where Christians are captured and every day in the news you hear about it and they're beheaded because they won't renounce Christ. That's the only reason. If they would just renounce Christ, they would live. But they won't. They're beheaded for it. Why? All because they love Jesus and they call and that call of God to tell other people about him is more important to them than their comfort and their life. Friends, that's real worship. It's risky. It's saying, I'm going to do something risky for God at God's direction. You know, not, not saying presumptuously you put yourself in a risky situation just to be risky. But you follow God, and sometimes following God is risky business. And God calls you there. And when you follow God in a risk, that's worship. You know what? But it doesn't have to be as dramatic 
as as all of that, of missionaries going to countries and risking their lives, or wise men crossing borders where the king is a crazy man and he might kill you because you come. But I would say this, just living a life where Jesus and his mission is in first place in your life in southeastern Wisconsin is risky. Just this past week, actually two weeks ago, a lady from our church told me about an encounter she had where she, she was at a store purchasing an item, and she overheard about another person, another customer, a stranger, never met before, that was going through some great problems in their life. And she was busy and tried to get her own stuff done, and she kind of tried to ignore it. In fact, she went out in her car, and she put her key in the ignition, and she said, I'm going to leave. But the Spirit of the Lord kept prompting her to go and talk to that lady that was a total stranger that by this time had gotten to her own car to leave. But the Spirit of the Lord just kept prompting her in her, spark, in her heart, in her spirit. So she turned off her car, and she went to the other person who was in her car by now, and she talked to her, and she said, listen, I overheard this, and I know it's none of my business, but I overheard it. And she said, I want to offer you some assistance for your particular situation through a ministry that our church offers that I think might help. And she said, we have something going on that I think might help you in your situation. And the lady she talked to said, oh, she knew of the church. Matter of fact, she said someone else had invited her to that church, and she was planning on going to that church that evening for a service. And that lady came, and hopefully um, the church can be a help. Well, here's the point. That was risky. That was risky. Get involved in someone else's troubles. Don't you have enough troubles of your own? Get involved in someone else's troubles. Approach a stranger because you believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Now, who knows when the Holy Spirit speaks, he doesn't send you a letter. And you can read it really clearly and go, oh, I'm supposed to go talk to the lady in the car. It's generally just this gut feeling that you can't get away from. You go, I'm supposed to do this thing. Matter of fact, I'd say this. I think we ignore most of the Holy Spirit's influence in our mind and we just pass it off as a thought. That if you're born again and the Spirit of God dwells within you, those thoughts about the person in the car is probably from God. It's risky. And this person followed that, that, that risky inclination from the Spirit and found out that it absolutely was God because the person was already planning on coming to the one church out of hundreds of churches in the area that very day. That's risky. To approach a stranger because you believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. It's risky. And that's the heart of worship. It says, God, you are so valuable to me that I'm willing to put it all on the line for you. That's what worship is. That's a lifestyle of worship. Are you beginning to get this broader understanding of worship this morning? Living a life of worship. It's not just about singing choruses in church on Sunday morning. It's about a lifestyle that says, I want to express through everything I do that I honor you first in my life, Lord Jesus. So it can be risky. Let's move on. Or we'll be here all day. The third expression of worship I see in the wise men. You didn't think there's so much in a wise men, did you? The third expression is this. The wise men worshipped through their generosity. What did the wise men do when, they, when it says they came to worship Jesus, they found him? It says what they did is they gave They gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
Okay, a little side note about this here. This is why we generally say there were three wise men, because there were three gifts. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that there was three. History's guesses there's probably 12. Some say eight. Um, could have been three. doesn't really matter. But it doesn't say there's three wise men. It just said they had three different gifts. So whether there were three or 12 doesn't matter, but it's kind of interesting to think. Because I messed with your, I messed with your manger scene a while back, saying that Joseph may have been really old and Mary really young, and he was a widower with six kids. Um, so you had to add them all to nativity. Well, now you've got to add maybe you know, five or six or seven or eight or ten more wise men and their camels and their whole entourage into your nativity. Pretty soon your nativity is going to take up your whole kitchen table by the time we're done. Um, so they came. How did they worship? They, gave, they, they, they worshiped with generosity. They worshiped by giving generously to the Lord. Um, this is why when we take up an offering in here, on every single time we take an offering, I think every time I say this, let's worship the Lord through our giving. Giving is saying, God, you are so important to me that I give you my best. I'm going to give generously because you are so good to me. It's an expression of love to the Lord. It's an expression of faith um, you know, and trust in God because you're saying, God, this is all I have, but I'm going to give you part of it, God. Because I trust you and because I love you. It's my action of saying I trust and I love you and, and I have faith in you. Friends, that's what worship is. Worship is saying I'm going to have actions that validate the fact that I say I love the Lord. And generosity is one of the ways we do it. And it's not been invented recently. It's from the beginning of Genesis. We see the way, one of the ways people worship God is they gave generously because they're saying, God, I trust you. I don't trust my 401k. I don't trust my, my employer. That those things, yeah, they're fine, but I don't trust my ability to manage it. Ultimately, I trust you. And so I'm going to give generously. Church, real worship costs you something. It costs you to commit to tithing, to give the first 10% of your income to God, because it's trust. And it's scary at times. You say, God, but what if I don't make it? You're saying, but God, I trust you so much. I love you so much that I'm going to trust you. But it's, it's worship to give to God. You know, it costs you to commit your time to serving in God's church. But that's worship. You're saying you're so important, God. I'll use the resources you've given me to now serve you and bring you glory and help you accomplish the plans that you have to reach this world through a local church. It's costly. It costs you to invest into friends and neighbors who don't yet know Jesus and then invite them to church with you so they can come to know Jesus. It's costly. But that's what worship is. Worship costs you because you are putting God and his kingdom ahead of yourself. That's worship, expressing love towards God. There's an old saying that says, talk is cheap. And if we boil worship down just to sing in songs, we could say then worship is cheap. But real worship costs you something. Real worship does cost you something. So that's number three. Let's look at number four. The fourth way we see the wise men expressing their worship is by obedience. The very last thing that we read about the Magi is that they were warned in a dream by God not to return to Herod. In chapter 2, verse 12. 
Um, and instead what they did is it says they went back um, to their own country by another way. Now think about that. You just read that. It's one verse. Okay, they were warned in a dream, so they went by another way. But think of what that one verse says. They defied an order from the king of the country they were in who was known for murdering people who didn't listen to him. They defied an order of the king in order to obey the king of kings. That's what verse 12 says. They they defied an order of the king, the earthly king, in order to obey the order of the king of kings. Friends, obedience is worship. It says, I value God so much that I will do what he says I should do. In real lifestyle of worship, there's no room for this. Well, pastor, I just don't feel led to do that. There's no room for that in a lifestyle of real worship. Obedience says, I love you so much, God, that I'll do whatever you say I should do. That's what worship is. There's a story in the scriptures that that talks about this. One time, King Saul learned about this the hard way. When he was conquering a city, um, Saul and his army were told that when they conquered the city and and God was blessing them so that anybody they fought, they conquered. And, And God, by the prophet, told them that they should take no spoils from the city for themselves. Um, but they didn't listen. And so what it says they did is they took some sheep and some goats, or some oxen, and they said that they were going to sacrifice them to God later. But the prophet Samuel denounces Saul's action, and he says this to him. This is key to our understanding here. He says, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Now he's talking about the sacrifice that where they sacrificed animals in their, in their worship experience, in their worship ritual. He says to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than that form of worship. It's worship, friends, to obey God. Because it says, God, I put you in first place in my life. That's what worship is. My goal today is to try to get us to have a broader view of worship. A broader understanding that worship, a lifestyle of worship, is so much more than coming to church on Sunday morning and singing songs or having K-Love played on the radio on the way to work. Those are great. They're all part of it. It's wonderful. But a lifestyle of worship, how we express our love towards God, is bigger than that. And these wise men show us four very real and very powerful and very practical ways that we can worship when we walk out of this place today. We can worship through studiousness, saying, God, what do you really have to say? We can worship by taking risks. When the Spirit of the Lord leads you and you say, God, you know what, that's risky business to talk to that person. Or, really, God, I'm afraid to go there. It's, we worship God through generosity. We say, God, I'm putting you first in my finances. And we, and we worship God through obedience. That when the Spirit of the Lord speaks to us, we say, yes, Lord, instead of, well, not really, Lord, I have my own plan. These are ways we can worship God, every single one of us. They don't take, none of these take special abilities. 
None of these take special resources. They simply are lives that say this. The Lord is honestly first place in my life. And my hope for you and my hope for me in this, in this coming year is that God will stir our hearts about how we can worship Him more fully. That maybe even today God has stirred your hearts about one of the things I've mentioned, how you could worship God more fully and you then honor Him by obeying His leading so that we become people who really are those shining lights that are put on a hill that reflect the love of Jesus in everything we do. See, because friends, if our whole worship experience is boiled down to this, in this place, it's really fun, but it doesn't affect out there. God wants us to live lives of worship so it affects other people, so they can come to know him also. What a great thing in 2015 coming up if our lives would be lives of expressions of worship so that the, so the world would see us shining brightly and we could influence some of them so they could come to know Christ. And I'll promise you this, a risky, obedient you know, life of worship, studious life of worship, will be the greatest, most blessed life any one of you could ever live. The most grace-filled, God-centered, enjoyable life you could ever live is a life of worship. It's what God has for us, to be like the wise men. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?